So 1 Corinthians 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. You are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. If you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love with a gentle spirit? Don't celebrate early. Don't get full of yourself. Don't think you've made it before you really have. Don't show off before the game's won. Don't celebrate early. Don't get full of yourself. That's true in every area of life, uh, but it's especially true in the Christian life. And tonight we're going to find out why. Why is that attitude so toxic in the Christian life? Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 is uh, the final part of this opening section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he's dealing with this problem of divisions in the church. People have gathered around these different leaders and, and broken off into these factions because they want the reflected glory that comes with being connected to the, the right guy. They want uh, the worldly honour that comes with being part of the right group. And so uh, tonight, Paul delivers the hammer blow on that problem. And here's what he says. Don't celebrate early. Don't get 
full of yourself. Two instructions. Don't celebrate early. Wait for the Lord's praise. And don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. Uh, That's where we're headed tonight. Uh, I'll leave that up there. Um, And you can refer back to it as we go. Firstly, don't celebrate early. Wait for the Lord's praise. See, in order to break off into these divisions, um, the Corinthians need to make a judgment about kind of which leader is better. You know, is this one the best? Is that one? Uh, which, which ministry is, is kind of more, uh, more impressive? But the problem is how they're making that judgment. Now, Nick pointed this out last week. The problem is that they're using the wrong marking key. They're using worldly measures of success to judge you know, which one looks the best or which one's going to reflect best on me, which one's going to boost my reputation the most. And Paul is not into that at all. Check out verse 3. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He says, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you think about me. In fact, if things look like they're really good around here, I'm not even going to pat myself on the back. Why not? Why doesn't Paul care about that? Well, it's not that he doesn't want his ministry to be effective. It it has to do with who's doing the judging. See that? He's not interested in the assessment of a human court. He says, that's the wrong judge. It's like handing in your honours thesis and uh, having it be marked by a driving instructor. It's like, sure, fine, have a look at it, but I'm probably not going to take that mark seriously. Because it's the wrong judge, it's the wrong assessment. He says uh, that he doesn't care what they think about him. He cares what God thinks about him. He doesn't even care what he thinks about him. He cares about what God thinks about him. What he's saying is that as he serves the Lord, he plays to an audience of one. An audience of one. I'm not sure if you've heard that expression. Um, It's an expression uh, that has actually been taken hold of by um, Christian sports people. Um, Anxiety is a huge thing in the world of professional sports. Um, You know, players finish a game, they go online, and their mentions just blow up with people ragging on them and just the whole world tearing them apart. And it can be crippling for them. And so Christian athletes have come up with this slogan, audience of one. The thing that matters is what God thinks of me. Whether I win or lose, before the game, after the game, during the game, the whole way through, they think we live our life with an audience of one. What does God think of us? That's what matters. And I think that's it's a helpful way for, to think, not just for professional athletes, right? Hands up. Who has crippling anxiety over the thought of what other people think about them. Isn't that something that dwells on all of us? Here, Paul says, I don't actually care what you think about me because I care about what God thinks. And his judgment happens later at the end. Did you notice that? When Jesus comes back, have a look at verse 5. He says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, Wait until the Lord comes. That's the time. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. 
at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So he's not talking here about uh, whether people will be saved or not, that, that kind of final judgment. He's talking about God's assessment of gospel work, people uh, serving the Lord, spreading the good news of Jesus, this, this assessment of whether it's effective or not. And see, the Corinthians were obsessed with honour and reputation. They wanted the praise of people around them for the way that their church was. And so they made these ministry judgments now. This ministry is impressive, this one's not. And Paul says, no, don't celebrate early. Wait for the Lord's praise. Don't get praised from people now. Wait for praise from the Lord then. Wait for praise from the Lord Jesus because that will be a true assessment of whether a ministry has been effective, successful or not. Because the judgment will be done by the Lord. And he'll take into account things that we can't see. He'll he'll take into account the motives of the heart, the things thought and done in secret. And that matters in a church. That matters for us. Because, like Paul says, you know, we can't even really judge ourselves. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things. Sometimes we don't even know our own hearts. We tell ourselves that we're serving, but really we just like that girl and hope that she'll notice us. And so Paul says, wait. Wait. Don't celebrate early. Wait. For the Lord's praise. On that last day, he'll be the one who gives praise. Don't worry about what people think. And that's why Paul says that he's aiming for faithfulness. Faithfulness in his ministry as he serves the church. Because he wants to please God, uh, not people. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 there. He says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. The illustration that Paul uses here is of um, the household manager. Uh, In the ancient world, you had these big households and you had kind of a steward who was in charge of all the servants. And the thing you want from that guy is faithfulness, that he takes care of his responsibilities and the house runs smoothly. You don't need him to be an influencer You don't need him to enhance your brand, to boost your reputation. No, he needs to make sure the toilets get scrubbed. He needs to be faithful with what's been entrusted to him. And Paul says the ministry of the gospel is like that, like delivering on a trust. You have the glorious knowledge of the creator God. You've got the message that God loves the world and that he sent his son to die to save it. And your job is to faithfully hold that and pass it on to others. I imagine it's like the driver of an armoured van, you know, that takes the money from the banks to and from. You want it to be like that. That's a guy who's been given a trust. He needs to take care of the money. And you want faithfulness from that guy. You want a big guy in a grey suit with a crew cut taking care of the money. That's his job. And that's what Paul wants to be. Big guy, grey suit, crew cut, just holding the gospel and taking care of it faithfully. And Jesus waits. Oh, sorry, Paul waits. He waits for Jesus. He waits for Jesus to be the one to say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
He plays to an audience of one. Don't celebrate early. Wait for the Lord's praise. That's the first point. Uh, Secondly, don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. See, the problem in Corinth is they were getting full of themselves. They absolutely were. These divisions were just a vehicle so they could puff themselves up and compare themselves to each other. Uh, Have a look there in verse 6. Paul says, he's been using himself and Apollos as the example. He says, I've used our names in this situation so you'd kind of work it out so you will not get puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. He says, don't get full of yourself. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. He goes on, verse 7. He says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What he's asking is, how, how is it? Who makes you different from any old Corinthian walking down the street? Who is it that's made you something? Who is it that's even created you as a church? It's God, isn't it? He's the one who set you apart. Who defines you? That's the question. Who defines you? It's God, isn't it? You didn't make something of yourself. It's all from him. And all these things that you're boasting about, he says, weren't they all gifts? Weren't they all given to you? Literally, they're called spiritual gifts. And these leaders, they've been given to you by God as well. Verse 7 goes on. He says, what do you have that you did not receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Why do you boast as if you did it by your own strength and power? It'd be like um, a newly married couple uh, boasting about all the great stuff that they've got in their house. And you think, wait, wasn't that all part of the gift registry? Didn't I buy you that? Like, how are you boasting about this stuff? It was given to you. It's ridiculous. Don't get full of yourself. But how much is that like us? We live in a world where we literally count likes. We put ourselves out there. Our, Our Instagram feeds project us online and the world votes on us and gives us their approval or disapproval. Corinth would have loved social media. They would have lapped it up, feeding right into this sense of reputation and honour. We have to to watch out. We can be drawn into the same attitude that they had. We can't get full of ourselves. No, everything we have comes from God. Uh, When I first started working here at St Matt's, our senior minister was uh, Kanishka Rafal. Um, he's an amazing preacher and he got asked to preach in lots of places all around the world. He preached at international conferences, at Anglican conventions, just like an incredible conference-level speaker. And people would always come up to him after the talk and, and say, you know, oh, that was a great talk, you know, thank you so much, I was so encouraged. And every time, you know what he said? Well... Praise God. Don't know. That's what he said every time. In fact, you could not get him to take a compliment. And I asked him about it once because it's kind of annoying when the person never, ever kind of responds any other way. 
And he said, well, it's mostly for me. I have to keep reminding myself that it's God's word. He does the work. All the praise goes to him. So I say, praise God. And that's right. We can't get full of ourselves. Everything we have is from God. See, the problem in Corinth is they were getting full of themselves. Have a look at verse 8. Paul kind of swings into it here. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Already you've begun to reign, and that without us. See, they were looking at their Christian lives, looking at themselves in the mirror, and claiming success. We've done it. We've made it. Spiritual gifts, check. Knowledge of the mysteries of God, check. Impressive preachers, check. Worldly wisdom, check. You know, we've got everything. Wisdom, eloquence. And Paul says, look at you strutting about like kings. I love it when uh, Paul gets feisty. Uh, See the next line? He says, How I wish that really you had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. Lucky for you, if you're a king, must be nice. Wish wish we could have that as well. He goes into this kind of full-on sarcasm attack mode. He says, We are fools for Christ. Oh, but you are so wise. We are weak, oh, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. See, they've misunderstood the Christian life. They think it's about triumph, success, reputation now. And it's not. It's about weakness. Weakness now. Glory to come. Weakness now, glory to come. And so Paul says, don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. And he gives the apostles as the prime examples. Verse 9, he says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. He says the Christian life is now is about weakness. In the ancient world, um, when a king returned home from a military victory, um, he would make arrangements for a big parade to, to enter the city in victory. Uh, they called it a triumph. And um, he'd ride in with his generals all around him and troops carrying all the plunder from the victory um, sometimes what they'd do is they would they'd arrive home, like back to Rome, and they'd wait outside the city for a, a few days, kind of awkwardly, while they got this party all organised. And so this, this big parade comes in, and at the end, they drag in the enemies that had been captured, something for people to jeer at and, and spit at. And Paul says, that's us. We're like that. In full view of the universe, we've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. The expression there is for off-scrapings. They've become the gunk that you scrape off the bottom of your shoe. They're they're the, the, the scum that you scrape off the bottom of a barrel. The burnt curry that you scrape off the bottom of the pot. Because their life now 
is one of weakness. Weakness in the eyes of the world. And weakness comes first. Weakness now, glory to come. Have a look, verse 11. He says, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. Uh, He's describing all the things they do as they take the gospel around the world. Uh, Their ministry is marked by weakness. They pay their own way from place to place and it's expensive and they go without. It costs them. And they arrive in a new city and and people abuse them and criticise them and they try and kill them and run them out of town and they have to run off and they don't go home, they press on to the next place. They don't have a home to go back to. They're weak. And Paul says that's the apostles following in the steps of Jesus. And that's what the Christian life is like. Don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. You see, if you want to be on about the gospel, you have to let go of honour in this world. If you want to be on about the gospel, you have to let go of the honour of this world. If you want to be a Christian... You have to realise that you will appear weak. You'll be considered a loser. It's, it's likely that your friends won't praise you and wish that they have what you have. They'll probably ridicule you. Now, that's what Paul says the life of an apostle is like. And if you call Unichurch your home, then that reality is closer to you than you think. I'm not sure if you saw this, um, but here is a picture of the last guy who was a unichurch pastor. Uh, This is him in the West Australian newspaper. Um, The story is elite school scandal, anti-gay church allowed to preach at Perth Modern. Uh, The little picture and headline in the front cover had them called cult-like. And that is a church that was planted by this church, by St Matthew's, a number of years ago. And half of that church used to be uni churches. And so we didn't get named in the article, but essentially uh, that tells you what our society thinks about our church as well. Uh, We aren't going to be honoured. We're more likely to be cancelled. But according to Paul, that's right. That's exactly the way it should be. That's the apostles as they share the gospel. Weakness and shame now in the eyes of the world. He puts himself forward as the example of weakness in action. And so Paul ends with that command. He says, imitate me. In verse 15 through to 16, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you gives it to them as a warning, as as my dear children. He says, therefore, verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. Now, this is what Paul wants them to do. He says, you know, you've kind of messed this up, you know, with the factions and the worldly honour business. Here's what I want you to do. Imitate me. Be willing to embrace weakness now, the way that I do. Be willing to embrace weakness now. Have a look at what he writes there in verse 12. 
He says, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. That's what he means when he says, imitate me. Do those things. Embrace the weakness of the cross now. He leans into it. He doesn't fight for honour. He doesn't compete for glory. He endures slander and he answers kindly. He keeps on serving people, seeking to bless them. And he says, imitate me. Embrace weakness like that now. Be willing to be seen as weak in the eyes of the world. Don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. Glory at the end. Well, what have we seen tonight? Paul has told them, don't celebrate early, wait for the Lord's praise, and don't get full of yourself. Weakness comes first. Uh, So what do we do with all that? Well, I think the simplest thing to do is just to look right there and see the same instruction. Paul says, imitate me. We need to imitate Paul. Be willing to embrace weakness now as we wait for Jesus' return. What does that look like? Well, we should expect this to be a time when we get slandered in the newspaper as cult-like and anti-gay and to be ready to endure that, uh, to be ready to answer kindly if people accuse us of things that aren't what we think at all. But here's the sneaky danger for us as we kind of feel that pressure from the world. The risk is that we'll feel the dishonour from our society. We'll feel the dishonour from our society and it'll get to us. And we'll feel embarrassed. And we'll feel the embarrassment of being part of a dwindling, out-of-date institution and all the barbs that they throw at us. And we'll feel the need to project success. We'll feel the need to project success, to clamour for worldly honour. And we'll try to make our church look impressive and to boast about ourselves and say, no, 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 look, look, we're really quite cool. We're really, we're really quite impressive. We're doing great stuff here. You'll really like it. And that'll come out in how we talk about church. Will we talk about Jesus? Or will we talk about how our lives have been transformed for the better and how we're feeling really fulfilled and have everything? Will we keep on having Bible studies about the cross? Or will we look into how to lead successful events and have great kind of volunteer organisation stuff going on? The danger is that we will feel dishonour from the world and we'll seek to project our own success. And that will be a dangerous path to go down. And there really are those two paths. You, you see them out in the world. Two paths that you can go down as we think about our life together as a church. One where we go down and we fight on the world's terms. We puff ourselves up and we try to make ourselves look good to show off that we're really quite successful. And one path where we embrace the weakness of the cross. Keep serving faithfully. Endure persecution. And wait for the praise of the Lord when he returns. They're the two options that are open for us. 
And so I want to finish now uh, with two videos, uh, two short videos, um, which are actually two book promos. <coughs> uh, you can buy both these books uh, from Kurong right now. They're uh, both out in the last few years. Um, both of these authors have had very influential ministries, and I present them uh, without comment for you to assess in the light of this passage. And then after that, we're going to sing.